Chapter One of Helen Lester. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Helen Lester by Pansy. Chapter One A Day of Troubles. The summer morning sun shone brightly into the beautiful room where Helen and Louise Lester were bustling about, but I must say it didn't find very bright faces. The truth is, for the last hour it had been doing its very best to arouse them from their morning nap. It had played hide-and-seek among Louise's golden curls, and shone full in Helen's face, and the little girls had not minded it in the least. Even the rising bell, which pealed through the hall at seven o'clock, had only served to make Louise turn sleepily on her pillow and murmur, "'Oh, dear, that abominable bell!' Helen heard it, and tried to decide how many more minutes and seconds she could sleep, and yet be ready for breakfast at the proper time. But before she had quite decided, she was again sound asleep, and the next thing that disturbed her was her mother's knock and question, "'Ready for breakfast, girls?' "'Yes, ma'am, in a minute,' said Louise, sitting up and rubbing her sleepy eyes. "'Now, now, wake up this minute! Mama is knocking!' "'Let me alone,' said Helen impatiently, rolling to the farther side of the bed. "'Oh, well, lie there, then, if you want to be late,' and Louise bounded up and commenced dressing in the greatest haste. The second peal of the bell roused Helen thoroughly, and she greeted her sister with a startled, "'Oh, my! Louise, why didn't you wake me?' "'Why didn't I wake a snapping turtle?' said Louise, laughing, adding in the same breath, "'Oh, dear me, haven't I two shoes? What has become of the other one? I do wish I could ever find anything. I should think Mamma might let Jane help us in the morning. Now take your things out of the way so I can find that shoe!' And Louise tossed dresses, aprons, and stockings about in the greatest confusion. "'Can't you snarl them a little more?' said Helen. "'I'm sure I never saw such a careless girl in my life.' "'Coming, Mama," answered Louise to her mother's second call as she passed their door on her way to breakfast. "'Hurry, Helen, hurry! Tuck your hair in a net and come along. Oh, button this sleeve first, and tie my apron quick!' A little more flying around, and the two girls ran down the stairs to the dining-room. "'The Mrs. Tardy,' said their father, bowing low as they entered. Louise laughed good-humouredly, and Helen's face flushed. Helen did not like to be ridiculed. Louise chattered like a magpie until the arrival of the morning mail compelled her to keep silence while her father read his letters. "'Ah!' said Mr. Lester, as he ran his eye hastily over one of them. "'This is news indeed. Cleveland landed yesterday.' has been detained by some derangement of the trains, but will be at the station at two o'clock this afternoon. A general exclamation of delight passed around the table. I'm glad he has at last remembered that he has a home. Mrs. Lester wondered whether he would look as he used to, which, considering that he was twenty-one when he left them, and twenty-eight now, didn't seem very probable. His young lady's sister, Cornelia, thought it would be very pleasant to have a brother to depend upon. His fourteen-year-old brother, Fred, looked as if he thought this tall young man was coming home on purpose to snub him. Helen's sober face only grew more sober. Louise clapped her hands in very glee that something was going to happen. Louise liked anything new, while fair-faced, blue-eyed Eddie, who was in his sixth year, 
that is, he was five years and two months old, whose bright eyes had never looked upon his wandering brother, asked eagerly, "'What is he like?' "'What is he like?' Helen could have answered that question very well indeed, though she was but little more than five years old when she saw him last. He was like a tall young man, very handsome, everybody said, with eyes like Papa's. He dressed very grandly, and carried a tiny cane, and smoked cigars in the drawing-room, which Mama did not like, and he drank a great deal of wine until Papa told him, more than once, that he was going too far. He was cross to Cornelia, until she called him a perfect bear, and said, botheration, whenever she asked him any questions. He was always teasing her, calling her little pug because she had a small nose, calling her Topsy because she had such dark skin. Oh, yes, Helen remembered him perfectly, and not one single good or pleasant thing could she remember of him. She was sure she did not love him a bit, and she was perfectly certain he did not love her. Nobody does, she said with a forlorn sigh. Not anybody in this world. And she kicked her arithmetic, which lay on the floor, out of her way. Here's Mamma, making me comb my own hair when she knows it will make me late, and I shall get a mark, but nobody cares for that. And there's that abominable arithmetic not learned yet, and I'll have to stay and learn it. And as for French, I'll never try to learn that lesson. And Helen braided her long black hair and fastened her dark green riding skirt over her pretty muslin dress as slowly as if her little black pony with white feet had not been standing before the door a long time, tossing his head and saying, as plainly as a pony can, that he was in a great hurry to take her to school. Nell, isn't it shocking to have to go to school today when Cleveland is coming? said Louise to her from the next room. I'm sure I shall study with my books upside down, though to be sure, that will be almost as well as I ever study, but I don't think I can sit still today. Well, she added, laughing, I never do that either, so I suppose I may as well go. Are you ready, Helen? And she came to the door, dressed for school. No, I am not, and I do wish you wouldn't be always asking me that question. Oh, oh, what a cross girl! And she ran downstairs. "'Fred,' said she to her waiting brother, "'don't you dare to speak to Helen. "'She is as cross as two sticks to-day.' "'Well, Sunbeam,' said her father, "'where is your sister?' "'She isn't ready, Papa,' laughed Louise. "'She will be down in the course of the day.' "'Come here, my dear,' said her mother. "'Your riding skirt is all awry, "'and your curls look as though they had not been combed at all.' "'Oh, well, Mamma, they'll do. "'You see, I was in such a hurry "'I didn't want to keep Papa waiting.' "'I wish your sister were as thoughtful,' said Mr. Lester impatiently. "'That's always the way,' muttered Helen, who had overheard this conversation. "'Louise goes down looking like a scarecrow, and she is sunbeam and pet and all sorts of pretty names, while I, because I want to dress neatly, must—' And here she paused to brush away two or three angry tears. Her father grew weary of waiting at last, and went to the city, leaving Fred to take care of his sister's. Twice in one morning had Helen displeased her father. Helen and Louise Lester attended a private school in the city, which was two miles from their home. Every morning they rode to school on their little ponies, with their father or Fred, and at two o'clock the servant came for them, or sometimes their mother, in the large carriage. A very beautiful home they had, 
with splendid carpets covering the floor, and elegant furniture in all the rooms, for their father was a very rich man, and spent a great deal of money in order to have everything beautiful for his wife and children. Then such a pleasant school as they had. There were only twelve scholars, little girls of nearly their own age, and Mrs. Harold, the teacher, was as pleasant as a teacher can be, and though Mr. Abbott, the music-master, and Monsieur Rousseau, the French-master, were rather stern sometimes, the girls had only to get their lessons well to find them as pleasant as possible. "'You are almost late,' said Mrs. Harold, as she bade the girls good morning. "'I was just about to lock the door.' Mrs. Harold always kept the door fastened while she was opening school. It was a beautiful schoolroom. The floor was neatly carpeted, Paintings and drawings hung around the walls. The shining desks, with armchairs before them, were fitted up with every possible convenience. At one end of the room stood a handsome piano at which Louise presently took her seat, in order to play the opening hymn. Very sweetly it sounded, sung by those clear young voices. Father, here to thee we raise, grateful songs and hymns of praise. Let thy blessings on us rest, with thy smile may we be blessed. After the hymn was sung, each girl in turn repeated a verse from the Bible. They all smiled at Louise's verse, Let all things be done decently and in order. The merry little girl was hardly ever known to be in order anywhere for five minutes. And Mrs. Harold, too, smiled as she said, A very good verse, my dear. Try to remember it. And she turned toward Helen. But Helen started, blushed, stammered, and finally shook her head. "'No verse?' said Mrs. Harold, in grave surprise, and the girls looked curiously at her. To have no verse to recite in the morning was something new and strange in that little circle. Why did Helen start again, when Mrs. Harold's clear voice repeated slowly, "'I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me.' Why did she suddenly bow her head and keep it bowed some moments after the short, earnest prayer was concluded? What was the matter with Helen this morning? She was not always late, and never before had she missed her verse. Now I presume a great many little girls will be astonished when I tell them that Helen had gone to sleep the night before, thinking about what a very good girl she would be all the next day. How came she to think of that? Why, a great many years ago, before her brother Cleveland left home, Helen had attended an infant Sabbath school, and among the first Bible verses that she learned was that sweet one, I love them that love me. Helen remembered it. She tried to love Jesus. She almost thought then that she did love him. She used to talk a great deal about it, until, at last... Her father and mother grew frightened at what they called her strange fancies. They thought she must be going to die because she loved to talk about Jesus and heaven. They did not know what a pleasant thing it is to love the Savior. So Helen was taken from the Sabbath school and told that she mustn't think of these things. She was too little. And very soon she forgot to think about them and forgot her verses. But just the day before all these sad things happened to her, she borrowed a book of one of her schoolmates. It was a Sabbath school book, all about a little girl who loved Jesus. She used to say that very verse which Mrs. Harold had repeated, and call it hers. 
Helen read it and thought about it a long, long time. It brought back the memory of Sabbath school days, and she resolved that she would be good again. She did not know just how to commence, but, of course, she must say her prayers, and she mustn't be cross to Louise, and she must get up early, because Mama always wanted them ready for breakfast, and she even decided that she would get up earlier than the bell and study that dreadful arithmetic. Not that she thought it would do her one bit of good, but then good people always learned their lessons, she supposed. And then she must never keep her father waiting, above all other things. So Helen went to sleep, and dreamed of how very good she was, and how everybody loved her and said she was a sweet little girl. Now how did it happen that she commenced the next morning by doing the very things that she had particularly resolved not to do? Oh, it happened as such things often do. First, she did not wake early, and when the bell awakened her, she was provoked that she had not been up an hour, as she meant to be, and she said to herself, "'It's no matter. I may as well sleep a little longer now that I've slept so long. If I'm ready for breakfast, that is all Mamma wants. I can sleep—let me see—five—no, ten minutes more, and then I can—' And the sentence was finished in dreamland. Then, oh, how vexed she was when she heard the breakfast bell! She forgot all her good resolutions and was as cross to Louise as possible— then, when she suddenly remembered, she said, "'It's no matter. I can't be good. There's no use in trying. The more I try, the worse I am. Half these dreadful things would not have happened to me this morning if I hadn't wanted to be so dreadful good. I'll just give up trying and go on as I always have.' And then her verse. She knew plenty of verses. She had repeated one, morning after morning, in the schoolroom for two years— but she had intended to say the very verse that Mrs. Harold repeated. And yet, after all the things which she meant to do that morning, and had not done, she felt that she could not repeat that verse, which, it seemed to her, had been the cause of all her trouble. She tried to think of another verse, but she could think of nothing except a rule in arithmetic and two or three French sentences. So, growing desperate, she shook her head. There was one other thing that troubled Helen. Those early Sabbath school days had been connected with her brother Cleveland. He used to tease her, call her Little Puritan, Little Saint, and a dozen other names of which she did not know the meaning, but which made other people laugh and her cry. And now this brother, this terrible brother, was coming home, just when she wanted to be good. Everything was against Helen, at least so she thought poor child. Such a miserable day as it was. Nothing but failure after failure in her lessons. Nothing but cross words at recess. Even the poor, unfortunate book in which she had read the beautiful story seemed to arouse her anger. Here, take your book, she said, tossing it fiercely on Laura Selby's desk. I never want to see it again. Considering all these things, it is hardly to be wondered at that, when the hour for the hated arithmetic class was over, Mrs. Harold said, "'This is the third recitation in which you have entirely failed. You may take your seat and prepare your lessons.' Helen threw her book on the floor and exclaimed, with a passionate burst of tears, "'I'll never learn it!' The school was dismissed, and Helen sat alone with her teacher. 
Had Mrs. Harold known what a sore little heart was throbbing in the little girl's bosom, known of all the things which had vexed the poor, passionate child, perhaps she might have led her into the right way. But how could she know that such a sullen face covered anything but a sullen heart? The schoolroom door suddenly opened, and Louise danced in. "'Oh, Helen, Helen! Papa and Mamma are going to the depot in the carriage, and they have come for us, and John has come to take our horses home, and Mamma says roll up your riding skirts and put them in the carriage, and hurry like everything, because—oh, Mrs. Harold, can't she go?' And Louise paused in dismay as she remembered the troubles of the morning. "'Because Cleveland is coming, our own brother Cleveland, and we haven't seen him in ever so many years.' Mrs. Harold hesitated. She has been very disrespectful, besides being indolent. But under the circumstances, if your mother wishes it, Louise waited to hear no more, but ran to her mother. No, said Mr. Lester, with a darkening face, when he heard her report. No, my dear, to his wife, when she would have interceded. It will not do. Helen must be taught that she cannot rule everybody. Make haste, Louise. John, you may wait for Miss Helen. And the carriage rolled away. And such a race as Miss Helen led poor John nearly two hours later. Along the smooth, hard road she danced with the swiftness of the wind. John could hardly keep pace with her, and to his warning that her father did not like to have her ride fast, she paid not the least attention. Poor Helen! She felt almost wild. Here she was, two hours behind time. The stranger brother would, of course, be there— she could almost hear him say, "'Hello, Topsy,' for a greeting. If she could only, only manage so as not to see him, at least until her tear-stained face was washed and her ruffled hair smoothed, he will laugh at me. But I don't care. I won't cry again. I won't!' And she flung the bridle from her, and springing from her horse's back, ran swiftly up the walk and darted in at the side door. The dining-room doors were thrown open, the family had just arisen from the dinner-table. Mrs. Lester was helping Louise to fruit and waiting for her. The others were sitting or standing around the room, listening eagerly to the newcomer, Cleveland Lester. Helen peeped in at him curiously, almost forgetting her anger at the sight of the strange face as he stood near the door talking earnestly. "'He is very handsome.' "'Very,' said Helen to herself, as she looked at the heavily bearded face. He doesn't look a bit as I thought he did, either. But I don't like him. Oh, dear, if I can only get to my room without being seen! And she moved on tiptoe across the hall. She had nearly reached the stairs. Why must Louise look up, just at that moment, from her half-eaten orange? But she did, and exclaimed, There's Helen! Her brother turned suddenly, and just as she had placed one foot on the stairs, she felt herself folded in his arms. He bent down and pressed on her lips a loving, lingering kiss as he said softly, "'My dear little Nellie!' The sudden surprise, the unexpected greeting, completely overcame Helen, and, springing from him, she flew rather than ran up the stairs, up, up, never stopping until she had reached her own room and thrown herself on the bed. Then she burst into tears and sobbed as though her heart would break." For the rest of that day she had plenty of attention. It took but a few minutes to cry herself into a real nervous headache, and for hours her mother sat by her bedside, 
bathing her head with ice water, while her father came every little while to see how she was, and Louise left the piano in quiet for fear of hurting Nell's head. Oh, yes, plenty of people cared for Helen. End of chapter 1 Recording by Hannah Mary